audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information about our church, for more sermon audio, or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I am so glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Stone Oak. Um, we are excited that we, we've kind of just started into a brand new uh, book together. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, to open them to 1 Corinthians uh, with me. And, and I want to also, if you were not with us last week, so we started this series last week. Uh, and if you weren't with us last week, I want to invite you, if you have a free moment, I know all of us have lots of free moments in our, in our weeks, but if you have a free moment, I want to invite you to check out last week's message. And here's why, because what we're going to see this morning is that last week and this week, so verses one through nine, is, is Paul's way of laying a foundation for us in the book of 1 Corinthians. He lays this foundation, and then what we're going to see is, you, if you read 1 Corinthians, is in verse 10, he changes gears and he starts to build on that foundation. And so what, we're, what we did last week is we talked about a lot of the context, and what we're going to do this week is we continue to lay the foundation, um, is important as, as we look. And so what we talked about last week is that Paul, in this letter, starts with a reminder of who we are, our identity. He starts with reminding this church, reminding us that we belong to God, we are called out in Christ, and we are part of his family. He starts there. And so this morning, what we are going to get to do is to start there and to build. So we're going to build, we're going to continue to talk about who we are in Christ. And like we talked about last week, who we are, how we see ourselves deeply matters, Especially when we're confronted with our culture, how we see ourselves and our identity deeply, deeply matters. And so we get to step into this wonderful text this morning. We're going to be in verse 4. So let's jump in together. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Right off the bat, Paul is just stopping and giving thanks for, for the way that, that, that Jesus had changed this church. He's giving thanks for them because the grace that was given to this church, um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the work of God, that work when, when, when God takes a sinner, takes someone who is, who is far from him, takes someone who is hostile, Toward him, that work when he takes that sinner and transforms him or her. That work, that work bringing dead to life, lost to found, um, disbelief or unbelief to, to belief, that work is, hear me, a miracle. It is absolutely miraculous. And what I mean by that is, is, is you did not, you could not, you cannot um, contribute to it. You cannot, um, I'll put it like this, dead things don't try really hard to become not dead, right? Dead things are dead. 
This is not our work. This is not something we did. You can't, through just the force of your will, go from unbelief to this joyful, sold-out belief in Jesus Christ. That's not possible. It's not possible because it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And so Paul here is acknowledging that. He's looking at this church that is in a city, like we talked about last week, that is not exactly the most upstanding community, and he's looking at this church and he's praising God because God has done a work and has done a miracle in them. He's, he's starting there. He's acknowledging that this church is the result of a work of God. So just as we start our time this morning, um, our church is the result of a work of God because he is the one who does this. He is the one who works this together. Um, another way to say this is when we come together as the body, as the church, as, as people uh, following Jesus, we don't come together to say, wow, look at us. And we did this. Like, we're saved. We believe. Pat ourselves on the... No. no what, what we do when we come together like this is we acknowledge. We acknowledge the fact that he did this. He did this work. And now we celebrate him together. That's what this is. And so if you look around this room right now, go ahead and do it. We'll, we'll wake up this morning. Look around the room. You are looking at miracles. Living, breathing, moving examples and miracles that God is real, that his work is, is powerful, and that he can and still does change lives. We are a living proof that the gospel still transforms lives. And, and so what this is when we get to come together as the church, there is something about this that should inspire in us worship because we're, we're literally sitting in the handiwork of the handwork of God, like right now. We're literally sitting in it. And that's what Paul here is seeing. Um, and he gives thanks, and then he, he continues on in verse 5. He says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So again, the church had been given the gospel and the grace, and, and it, it took root. And Paul is thinking about this church. Remember, he's not with them right now. And he's thinking about the way that they responded to the gospel, and he's just giving Thanks, and, and he's grateful because remember, he's acknowledging that was miraculous. Thank you, God, for, for your miraculous work in this church. And so he starts here, and then he moves. And I want to I wanna look at verse 7 together. This is the first time in our letter that Paul is going to bring up gifts, uh, gifts of the Spirit. So um, we will fortunately be able to spend a lot of time looking at gifts while we're in 1 Corinthians, which is incredible. Uh, I cannot wait. And, and Paul brings it up here right off the bat, right at the beginning, brings it up. Um, but what's so important is the way he brings it up. The way he brings it up. Um, and, and it's important that we highlight this. So in verse 7 he says, um, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Uh, I know this is exactly what you want to do on a Sunday morning early. Let's start with a, a, a grammar quiz, all right? Um, any English people here? 
This is going to be fun then. All right. So um, in English, the second person pronoun that we would use to describe one person, what is it? You, right? So you are sitting right there. You, right? Um, all right. Let's continue the quiz. The second person, uh, second person pronoun that you would use to describe a room full of people in English, what would it be? There you go. Give your, you passed. You passed. We Texans have solved this problem, right? We have solved this. It's, it's not you. It's, it's y'all. You guys are great. Um, in our text today, if you were to read four through nine, um, the writers or the translators from Greek to English weren't from Texas, apparently, because every single one of them is plural. Every single one is y'all. You all, you guys, however, it is plural, every single one. So Paul here is addressing them collectively. This is very important. Paul is addressing them collectively. God cares about the y'all. He, he cares collectively for, for this church. Um, he cares for the church. We can't have Jesus without the y'all, without the, his people, God doesn't intend for us to be Christians who isolate ourselves from, from the body. I've used this analogy before. I think it's a good one. Um, if I were to come up to you after service and I were to say, you know what, I, I think you're, you're awesome. And I would love to just take you to lunch after this and just get to know you, spend some time with you. And, and I'll buy wherever you want. I mean, come on. I just, I really want to get to know you. But... There's just one thing, though. Your wife. She is the worst. And, you know, I just, I just don't really know if I want her to come. I don't really know if, uh, I mean, just ask her to stay. I mean, you and I can be good, but, you know. Oh, and there's one other thing. Your children are even worse Maybe your wife could stay home with them and us, we can go and enjoy a dinner and get to know each other. Some of you guys are cringing because that is just, you would never say that to a human being. If you would, you are a jerk. Um, <laughs> but you would never say that. But for so long, for so long, the American church has become okay with saying that to God. We really have. God, I love you. I like you. God, we'll go to lunch. But your bride, she's the worst. Maybe I could have you without that. Or you know your kids, <sighs> your family, they're rough. Can we be good without them? And we would never think about saying that to a, to a human. But, but yet this individualistic mindset is pretty prevalent in our, in our culture. As long as me and Jesus are good, we're good. And, and, and here, it, when we get to letters like 1 Corinthians, we read it and it doesn't make sense the way they lived and why. Well, that's because we are a collective. We are a people. We are a family. We are a body. We are the church. We are a collective, and this is seen so clearly when it comes to gifts. 
And that's why I bring this up now. This comes so clear when we think of gifts. Paul looks at them, he's reminding them who they are, and he looks at them collectively, y'all, and and he says this, so that you, y'all, are not lacking in any gift. So that y'all are not lacking in any gift. Paul says, church, we are gifted. We are gifted. Now, let me say something here. There is no one in this room, no one among us, who has every gift. There's no one among us who is lacking in in nothing. There's no one among us. As a follower of Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts according to his will and his plan and his purpose. It's, It's not... Um, it's not for us to say, no, I, I need them all. Like, we don't put them on order. Um, that's not how gifts work. And the Holy Spirit gives us this according to his will, his plan, and they are meant to be exercised together as a whole, as a body, different members, different gifts, working together, exercised together, so that together y'all are not lacking in anything, so that together we are not lacking. If you take this to to be you, singular, if you take it to mean you, you get this false impression that that every gift is gonna be in you and in and of yourself. And that's that's not the the picture that the scriptures paint when it talks about the the spiritual gifts. Paul says here in a plural statement, together, as all the pieces fit, you have everything. You're not lacking. Another way to say this is the gifts of the Spirit are not gifts for you. Another way to say this is the gifts of the Spirit in your life are simply the ways that God has made you a gift to the church. They're not like your Christmas presents. You open, it's like, yes, I have hospitality, All right? That's not, that's not the picture. The picture is, is that God says in, through his spirit, no, you are a gift to the church. You're a gift to the body. You fit so that we're not lacking. And this is huge, and, and I want you to hear me. Every one of you, every one of you has been specifically, intentionally, created and designed and gifted to be a blessing to the church. And if you're here and you say, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to give my gift away. I'm not ready to get involved. I mean, I'm in a season where I'm taking a back seat. Whatever, if you're here, not only are you hurting yourself because you're not acting in the way that that God has created you to act in in the most natural way. Not only that, but you're hurting the body because now now you're robbing the church of you, of your gift. Paul says, so that you're lacking in nothing. Well, if everyone decides to keep their Christmas presents, we are lacking. Church is not a spectator sport, and it never has been. And by the way, church planting, starting churches, that's really not a spectator sport. You can't even fake like it is, right? You are gifted specifically to fit and to contribute. So 
Are you exercising your gift in the church? Do you know what your gift is? We're going to get the opportunity to, to talk a lot more about gifts as we spend time in this letter together. But if there's any way that we can help and come alongside of you, we've got we to gotta get you plugged in. For your sake, for, for our sake, we got to get you plugged in. And we would love to, to help you do that. But Paul says here, we are gifted. He says, so that you, y'all, are not lacking in any gift as y'all wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because there's a day that's coming when Jesus is going to return, when all things will be made right. There's a day coming. We look forward to that day. But until that day comes, we are left not alone. We're left with everything we need, not lacking in anything while we wait. So we look forward but while we look forward, we know that we have everything we need in him. And I love that. As we continue on in this text, Paul is about to make a statement uh, that we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking. And, and this will truly change your life. This is such a huge foundational statement um, found in verse 8. Let's look at this together who will sustain you to the end. Amen. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. God is faithful. Verse nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's just start with that first part. Paul says, in Christ, you will be sustained till the end. Sustained to the end. I hear um, that, that in order for something to be remembered, you gotta repeat it three times. So we are sustained. We are sustained, that's four. Um, and here's a couple of things that I want us to see about this. So first, again, y'all. This is plural. Um, I believe with all my heart from the scriptures that the scriptures teaches that, that Jesus saves us He's really good at it. He's thorough. And he, he completes his work. And then not only that, he seals us forever. We are his. And as Romans tells us, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord forever and ever. Amen. I believe that. And although it's somewhat related, that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about, if you think of this in a plural, y'all mindset, if you read this, collectively, we, as the church, are sustained. Now, what does that mean? What does Paul mean when we are sustained? Remember, Corinth, uh, so this church, the church in Corinth, was in a city that was openly hostile was in a city that was in open defiance to the things that the church believed. Um, they, were, they were in a city, and the city was, was calling them, pleading with them to change their stance and their posture towards things. And as we'll see, the church was, was doing that. 
They were in a city that was, that, was, that was calling it to either change or get out. There was pressure. There was persecution. If you remember, that's the way this church was even started was because of persecution. And that's where they are. They are. And Paul says here to this group of believers, remember who you are. And remember that we will be sustained till the end. We, the church, in the face of a hostile culture, can be strong and confident, unwavering, unbending. We can stand and not be shaken. We will not be defeated. We will be sustained. Let me just remind you, church, we face a culture, as we talked about last week, that is very similar that would love it if the church would just bend. Just change your position, your posture. Would you just progress in your beliefs? Would you get out of that old school, progress, calling us to change? And if you change, we'll like you, but if you don't, you gotta go. That's our culture, and then Paul is reminding us, remember who you are in Christ, and remember, church, we will be sustained until the end. We will be sustained in light of what we are facing today in our culture as the church. We will be sustained. We have no fear. Jesus says, I will sustain you. The church will stand. The church will endure. The church in Christ will be sustained by Christ. So with love and with courage, we hold on. We stand on the word of God, knowing and trusting that he meant it, and knowing and trusting that it's never been our job to modify it. We stand on it, and and we don't change. We hold together. We don't panic We don't concede. We don't join them. But we know we are sustained. And second, it's important to understand where the the source of our power is here. Because Paul doesn't say, you will sustain yourself. He, He says, you will be sustained. Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. And I'll say it again. Jesus is really good at what he does. Jesus is really, really, we are sustained by Jesus Christ through threat, through persecution, through cultures that change and shift. We are sustained. Jesus is faithful. He gave his very life for the church. He sustains it till, till the end. Um, in a world of absolute uncertainty. And you know what I mean. Just an uncertain world. We can be certain. But the church will stand. The church will endure. The church will remain. The church will be sustained. In fact, if we can just be honest, if you look through history, I love history, the church seems to blossom and thrive whenever it faces persecution. The the very, well, Corinthians is a great example of that. Persecution, church plant. It's it's beautiful. Throughout history, we have seen this. And and it's important to realize this because 
that's not the message we get from popular culture. If you just listen to it and you get caught up in the, in the times, what we, what we start to believe is that um, we either need to progress, we need to do something, or we're going to lose. We're going to die. The church is dying. Everyone's running out of the church. Like We get this image of the church as, as going, unless we change. It's going down. It's going to, we get this image. It's kind of doom and gloom. And we get this, this idea that in order to stop that and pull up on, on the stick here, we need, to, we need to change and modify our, our message. And, and here's what we've seen, though, in history. Again, I love history. When, when we look back at churches and denominations who have conceded that is the place where most often we see decline. Um, when, when we surrender everything we stand on, we shouldn't be surprised when we have nothing to stand on. When we surrender everything we have, we shouldn't be surprised that the world looks at us and is like, well, there's nothing new there. We are sustained. We have confidence in God's word. We have confidence in God's church, that we will stand, that you are a part of a movement that Jesus Christ himself is seeing through till the end. And that is a beautiful and a powerful statement. Are you that confident in the church? <laughs> not only, uh, I'm not only asking, have you, have you gotten involved in investing your gifts, but, but being in this place should increase our confidence that God still has a plan we look around the room again, we are living, walking, breathing miracles individually, and we are a corporate miracle. And we will stand. We will stand together. Um, not only, that's good news, amen, by the way? Okay, you're still with me. Not only are we sustained, but Paul adds to this, and he says, who will sustain you to the end? Listen to this, guiltless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only are we sustained, church, we are guiltless. And um, some of you are like, yeah, you lost me there. I'm, I was all with you on the gifted, sustained, but this guiltless thing, I know me. More than that, I know some other, th other people as well. Um, some of you look around and, and you realize the church is not a place of perfect people. Um, it's, it's, it's not. In fact, many of you, and I'm not gonna make light of this, many of you in this moment can think back on past situations in the church that have caused you a tremendous amount of pain. Guiltless. Right? Some of you can think back in, in history at some of the ridiculous things that people have done in the name of the church and, and you think, guiltless? Guiltless? I mean, let's even think of Corinth, by the way. What we're about to read in this church, guiltless? There's some crazy stuff going on in this church. Guiltless? Really? 
shouldn't we be looking at them and saying guilty? <laughs> Church, hear me. Um, yes, guiltless. Perfectly and completely guiltless. That is, that is us. How can we say that? How can we look at a, 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 a sinner, a proven sinner, how can we look at ourselves, a proven sinner, and, and say guiltless? How is that work? How is that possible? Again, shouldn't we be saying guilty? How? I'm glad you asked, church. Um, to answer this, I want to ask you a question, and, and I, you don't need to answer it out loud, but I do want you to answer it. What did the work of Jesus Christ accomplish? Think about it. And I'm talking specifically. What did the death, the, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplish exactly, specifically? What did it accomplish? I mean, we talk about it all the time as the church. We should. But why exactly does it matter, and what specifically did it accomplish? So, so follow with me. Um, Jesus Christ came, and he lived on this world, in this world, and he lived a perfect life. Amen? Believe me? All right. That was weak, but I'll, I'll take it that you're believing in your heart. He came, and he lived a perfect life without sin. Uh, the Bible tells us he faced temptation, but the Bible also says that he never gave in, ever lived a perfect and sinless life. And that this perfect man was then taken, beaten, mocked, arrested, condemned, nailed to a wooden cross, mocked even more, hung between two criminals. That's the, the, the picture that, our, that our, our scripture tells us. And he was left there to suffer and to die. You can answer this one out loud. Uh, did he deserve it? All right. Not only did he not deserve the gruesome crucifixion part, Jesus didn't even deserve death. Death is a byproduct of sin. Jesus, perfect. He did not deserve it. Um, but there he was, and he breathed his last. Now let's pause and let's contrast that with you. You were born into sin. You were born um, having sin that was just in you, passed down from generation to generation. I love my parents, but they passed it. Your parents did too. You, you, um, you were born with a desire to sin. In other words, not one of you, if you're a parent in the room, not one of you had to teach your kids how to sin. It came pre-installed. Pre-installed. And unlike Jesus, um, we have given in once or twice. We have given in, and, and we are sinners. You are a sinner. You have messed up. Unlike Jesus, who did not deserve death, you do. You do. Not only physical death, 
but separation. Because you are a sinner. God is perfect. There is a problem there. And, and we, because of this, stand before God completely guilty. Okay? Don't water it down. That's what it is. Completely guilty we stand before, before God. Not only, um, God is not only justified in, in condemning you because of this, but he is obligated to because he is perfect. And think of it as in terms of a human judge. So if there's a convicted murderer, we all saw him do it, and a judge says, you know what, I like you, you're free. Like that's really, you're, you're innocent. That's really good for that criminal, but that judge is not just. It's good. We would not like, something has to give for these two realities to, to, to exist. Something has to give. We have Jesus here, perfect, sinless, guiltless, murdered, and we have you and I, sinful and guilty. So something has to give. And, and church, this is the wonderful and, and, and beautiful predicament that the gospel solves. This is it. Remember, the question was, what does the work of Jesus Christ accomplish? Specifically, exactly, what does it accomplish? Well, on the cross, Jesus, again perfect, was a perfect and complete sacrifice for you. Perfect and complete, without sin, without blemish, he was able to be the sacrifice and atone for your sin. Meaning, your sin was literally placed on him. Your sin was placed on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus did not become a sinner on the cross. Jesus became the sacrifice for sinners on the cross. He took it so that sinners no longer had to carry it. No longer do we have to carry it. Instead, sinners become righteous. The righteousness of God. On that cross, Jesus literally took the punishment for your sin, all of it. Your sin of yesterday, your sin of today, and if you happen to sin again, your sin of tomorrow. I want you to think, let's bring this on the ground real. I want you to think about a time when you sinned, when you got it wrong. Think about it. A time when you messed up, a time when you were selfish, a time when you gave in, a time where you struggled with sin. Think about it. You have it in your mind. I don't want to make you bring up bad thoughts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the corner. Don't worry about it. That was taken care of completely and fully by Jesus Christ on the cross. Your dirtiest and your darkest secret was taken care of fully and completely. He did not die for the best version of you. 
He died for you, knowing you, seeing you. He died for you. He didn't die for the potential of you. He died for the reality of you, all of you. He died so that you would stand without guilt. It's not like that you are a convicted inmate who has been really well behaved, done enough community service to now be let go. No, you are guiltless, declared guiltless because the guilt has been taken away. Remember I said that God would have been unjust to have who just declared you guiltless? Well, now because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of what he accomplished, because of this, he would be unjust to declare you guilty because your guilt has been fully handled completely through Jesus Christ. That's why what he did matters. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left this crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow, guiltless. First Peter 2 says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is perfect. Verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins. All of them. In his body, on the tree. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Church, this is good news. This is the gospel. This is it. This is what we have. This is, what, this is the foundation. That Jesus lived the life that you could not live, died the death that you deserve, and now gave you the victory that he won. That's it. We stand on this. The gospel is so good because you have nothing to add to it. You have nothing to add, nothing to bring, nothing to secure it, nothing to bring to the table. All you have is to respond. That's it. The gospel is so good. God, God does the work, sent his son to die for us, live and, and died your death, paid your price, took your sin, and now we respond. And no matter if you are a Christian who have been walking with the Lord for years, no matter if you're a Christian who you're new to the faith, no matter if you're here and you are just wondering, you're searching, some of you may be here and you have no idea why you're here. Regardless of who you are or what brought you into this room, I can say that the grand, our grand responsibility, every one of us, our grand and complete responsibility in life, our purpose, our primary calling as human beings made in the image of God is to continually, ongoing, respond to the gospel. That is your calling. That is your life's work. If you could be good at that, <laughs> that's it. 
that we continually respond in belief and worship and gratitude and praise and worship and adoration to our God, that we would continue to respond in our lives, in our, in our offices, in our schools, in our families, in our homes, if we could be a people who respond to the gospel ongoing, not a one-time application, ongoing, we respond to the good news and we let that call us to live differently. That is what this is about. And, and Paul says, we are guiltless. And now listen to the final reminder. He, he says, we are gifted, sustained, um, we are guiltless. And then in verse nine, God is faithful. By the way, praise God for that. Praise God that that's not contingent on you being faithful. God is faithful. And he says, by, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says, we are called into fellowship. Um, fellowship is a funny word, and I think for a lot of us, it might conjure up, it sounds a little archaic. We, we can think of older churches, or we can think of Lord of the Rings, or something. Um, it's a word, but I don't want us to rush past this word. Fellowship here it means a close relationship. Not only are you, are you guiltless, not only did the judge rule you innocent, rule you guiltless, but through Jesus Christ, God now calls you into a real and active relationship. Not a theoretic, theoretical one, but a real one. That he is not far off, removed, distant, but through Christ he is near and he cares. And, and I want to make one clarification here. Not because of obligation. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, all right, I'm the God that is really good at being patient. So I'm gonna, no, it's not a burden. It's not done out of obligation. He doesn't have to grin and bear it and just put up with you. That's not the vision that we get in the, in the scripture. He loves you. And as absolutely crazy as this may sound, as absolutely crazy, um, you bring him pleasure. You bring him pleasure. Um, through Jesus Christ, you are his pleasure. For a moment, church, I wanna, I wanna ask you just right where we are, if you, could, if you could bow your head and close your eyes with me. Um, church, Jesus died for you and accomplished it all for you, and now he is calling you to enter into this real and active and vibrant relationship with him. I have been praying for this this morning um, all week is I believe we have to start here. Um, I believe that today our church collectively and individually that we need to respond to the gospel. Um, for some here, you may have heard the good news of Jesus and praise God for that. Um, 
for some of us, maybe we've never truly responded. But as we examine our hearts and, and we right where we are, as we just begin to examine our hearts, we, some of us are here, we hear about this relationship, we hear about this, this um, guiltless life, and as we examine ourselves, we realize we don't have it. We don't have the relationship that we're talking about. We, don't, we feel overwhelmed by guilt. In church, through Jesus Christ, there is an end to guilt. There is a relationship. And, and I want to invite you to respond to the gospel this morning because the truth is, is that Christ has done the work. The work is done, complete, done. And my prayer this week is that in these moments that, that not in a, in, a, in a weird or kooky kind of way, but in these moments that, the, that God would just begin a work in us no matter who we are, to open our eyes to who he is. And I just want to ask you, church, would you respond this morning? I want, to, I want to invite you to pray with me this morning, right where you are, and let's just pray. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Thank you for calling me, for saving me, Thank you for sustaining me. God, would you forgive me of everything in my life that is counter to your plan? Through Christ, would you forgive me of all my sin? God, would you show me what, re what fellowship, what relationship with you is really like? Going from this place, would you show me how to live out your good news in my life? Show me how to walk with you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.